I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, and as far as this series of sermons is concerned, this will be the last time we'll turn to the book of Philippians because we're going to wrap up our study of, to me, a terrific letter of Philippians this morning. Philippians chapter 4, we've talked about how this is Paul's letter of thanksgiving. Over and over we've been told to rejoice, uh, to be joyful, to find joy in the Lord. We talked about the fact that that joy that we find in a Christian's life is a supernatural joy that comes from the Lord and from being in the Lord. And we're going to look at something else we gained this morning in the Lord as we look at our uh, lesson this morning. But today, Philippians 4, beginning at verse 10. Philippians 4, beginning at verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were careful, but you lacked opportunity. In other words, Paul says, you gave me financial support. It happened in the past. Things happened where you didn't have opportunity to continue, but now you do. So he says, I'm thankful for that. And in verse 11, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding, you've done well that you've communicated with my affliction, or shared with me with my affliction. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated or shared with me as concerning giving and receiving but you only. For even in Thessalonica you again sent once and again unto my necessity. Not that I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all I need and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and the Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute or greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. As we come to the end of this letter, I'm just going to kind of lift some things out of this paragraph that kind of jumped out to me. And the first thing that I noticed when I read through this uh, paragraph is the Philippians' generosity. How generous the Philippians were. We see it in verse 10. We see it also in verses 14 through 18. Uh, these Philippians over and over again sent monetary support to Paul to help him spread the gospel in the places that uh, he went to plant churches. Uh, when he left Macedonia, uh, Philippi is the capital, the chief main city of Macedonia. When Paul left there and went to other cities, the Philippians continued to support him. 
continued to send him money. Uh, when he went to Thessalonica, they sent him money. Uh, they sent him help. Matter of fact, they were the only church that continued to do so on a regular basis. And for some reason, the opportunity uh, for the Philippians to help Paul dried up. We don't know exactly what the problem was. They didn't exactly have the internet back in those days and telephones and cell phones and GPSs so you can keep up with everybody. So Paul was imprisoned a time or two. Uh, he may have been somewhere where the Philippians didn't know how to reach him. It would take a minute to get a... They also didn't have the U.S. mail service. So it would take a minute to get support from the church to Paul. But for whatever reason now, Paul is in prison in Rome. And the Philippian brethren hear that Paul is there. And so, hey, they say, hey, we can help Paul some more. Let's send another gift of support to him. So they send a man named Epaphroditus with their support to Paul in Rome. And while... Paul, while Epaphroditus is there, Epaphroditus gets sick, and he almost dies, but he gets well, and Paul sends Epaphroditus back to Philippi, and with Epaphroditus, he sends this letter of thanks from, which we know as Philippians. That's why Paul wrote the book. It was to thank them for their support. Now, when we look at this idea of support, I just want to make a couple of comments about it. Understand that as Southern Baptists, we give to uh, our cooperative program, which helps support uh, the gospel. We give to the missionary boards. We take the offerings of the Lottie Moon offering and the Annie Armstrong offering for the International Mission Board and, and also for the North American Mission Board. And so in that way, we help those missionaries teach the gospel. And, and a good thing about that is that those missionaries that the uh, International Mission Board and the North American Mission Board send out, they don't have to worry about raising support. They don't have to worry about going to different churches and churches sending them support. Uh, as we give to the cooperative program and to these, uh, with, through these different offerings, we pay their support so that they can teach the gospel. So in a very real way, Paul even mentions down in verse 17, he says, this support's not about me getting a gift. This support is for the fruit that you bear when you give the gift. Do we realize that today when a North American or, or an International Mission Board missionary in Africa preaches the gospel and the Holy Spirit convicts a heart and a person gets saved, in a very real sense, we have shared with that missionary in the spreading of the gospel. Does that make sense? We, we're, even though we're not going, we are helping those who do go, helping those who can go. We also help Rudy and Rose French directly. That They are missionaries that go to uh, the Philippines. They, they go to Korea. They go to different... Uh, Manamar, they go to different uh, countries, different places. We send him support a few times a year to help uh, them. We are having an opportunity to help uh, to support a mission in Dixon. We talked about in class this morning that in the book of Acts, Jesus told the apostles that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. And, and for us, 
our Jerusalem is Fairview. Uh, we are responsible to get the gospel out here in Fairview. But our Judea could very well be Dixon, could it not? So it's an opportunity with that Hispanic mission to help teach the gospel. I can't speak Spanish. I might say buenos dias, and I can say polio, that's chicken, and I'm a Baptist, so I can say that word. But I, I can't speak Hispanic. But you know what I can do? I can support those folks that can so that they can hear the gospel in their language and hear the good news that Jesus loves them as well. So different supporting of missionaries is nothing new. They did it all through uh, the, the New Testament. They have done it all through the centuries up into and including today. So the Philippians' generosity stuck out at me. Uh, uh, with me, and it also stuck with me the fellowship that they had with Paul when he left Philippi. They continued to support Paul when Paul went to other places and planted other churches. I wonder how many churches today, when the preacher leaves, whether there's such bad blood on one or the other <laughs> side that they have a hard time having good feelings toward that other pastor or that other preacher? Or do we think, boy, thank goodness brother so-and-so's gone. I sure am glad he's not here anymore. Or I'm sure their pastor's going, whew, I'm glad I'm done with that church. It's terrific the way that Paul is continues to be uh, supported by the Philippians even after he's gone. And when they get an opportunity, and some say about 10 years later, after Paul's been gone from Philippi about 10 years when he's in prison now in Rome, now when they, when the Philippians hear that Paul's there, they say, well, let's support him again. He still needs our help. Let's, let's keep supporting him. So can I encourage you to pray for the former pastors that used to be here? Because you know what? They're still doing God's work wherever they are, right? And they need prayers. And as a pastor, I pray for those churches that I pastored before. I pray for Eagle Creek. I pray, pray for Buffalo. Buffalo had closed down in April. They, the fellow that was their interim pastor uh, got too sick to be able to pastor anymore. So they didn't open their, their meeting again today. Uh, I, I'm saying they closed in January, not in April. But they, they, they've been closed for about four months. They're reopening today. And that's a hallelujah for me. And I, I'm praying for those folks at Buffalo. And, and I pray for Brother Daniel and Eagle Creek and, and those churches uh, that I pastored when I first started preaching in, a, in another life. I, I pray for those little churches that to, be, uh, to be faithful to God and to keep doing what God wants them to do. That's just a, a generosity fellowship thing. And that just jumps all over the, the last part of this particular letter. But you know something else I noticed? Look what Paul said, verse 10. He says, I'm glad you supported me. He said, you supported me before. Now you, did, you didn't have a chance for a while. Now you're supporting me again. He said, I'm tickled to death that you're doing that. But notice he says in verse 11, not that I speak in re respect to want or need. I don't need it. It's not that I'm in a bad way. In Paul's day, Rabbis would stand on the street corner and teach 
and people would come by and they would give them money. Secular philosophers would do the same thing. They would teach on the street corners and they would actually ask the people for money. Paul says, understand, I'm not begging for money. He says, I'm okay. I, I, I don't have any wants. He goes on, he says, not that I speak in respect of want or in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am in, therewith to be what? Content. Now we're going to park the horse right here at this hitching rail for just a second. Paul says, whatever state I am in, I have learned to be content. Contentment is not a human being's default position, is it? Uh, you know, when you get on the computer and you hit that little E, the default browser comes up. Or there are certain settings that just it, it becomes natural. Uh, it, when you set up a computer, it, it asks you, who do you want your default browser to be, your default printer, your default email. And, and so when you send email, it goes there. When you print, it goes here. When you do this, it goes. Contentment is not a human being's default position. Think about this. When a baby's born, when he's hungry, what does he do? Cries. When a baby wants to be fed, or a baby wants to be chained, what does he do? Cries. If a baby wants to be held, what does he do? Cries. If a baby just gets an ocean, what does he do? Cries. Now here's my question. If that baby's hungry and he cries, what happens if you don't feed him? He cries louder, right? right. What happens if you don't change him? He, he cries. Babies are, we, we human beings, we're not born content. Now, some babies have are more naturally contented than others. I understand that. But contentment, even as adults, we tend not to be content. And I'm going to go out on a limb right here. And I'm going to say that most of us, or quite often anyway, when we get into trouble, it's because we are not content and we're trying to reach for something that we don't have. We see something we want and we, we want to go get it. We see something somebody else has and we want to go get it. Paul says, whatever state I'm in, in verse 12 he says, I know how to be poor and I know how to have stuff. He says, I know what it's like to be full. And he says, I know what it's like to be hungry. I imagine Paul, when he's in Rome, he might think when he's writing these Philippians, he might think back to Philippi and the house of Lydia. Remember in Acts 16, where we're studying now, just last week before last, we studied when Paul and his group came to Philippi. There wasn't a synagogue. So they went down to the riverside, and they found Lydia and a group of women there worshiping God, and the Lord opened Lydia's heart, and Lydia gets saved, and he invites, she invites these uh, disciples to come into her house and to uh, share with what she had. And, and I wonder, ten years later, Paul's writing this from prison, and he may be thinking, you know, Lydia had a pretty good house. That couch she had was comfortable. And now that woman can cook. I sure wish I was back in Lydia's house. Paul says, there's been times I've had plenty. There's been times not so much. 
There's been times I've been free. There's been times I've been in prison. Paul talks about in Corinthians how he was beaten and stoned and shipwrecked and left for dead. He had gone through all these things. And Paul tells them that my contentment is not based on my circumstances. I'm going to repeat that because I need to hear it again. My contentment is not based on my circumstance. Paul says, in whatever circumstance I have, whatever circumstance I find myself, I've learned to be content. Notice that word learned. It takes time. I'm 57 years old and I'm still trying to learn to be content. I still have a problem. Even though I might have a perfectly good lawnmower, when I see folks out on their big in their big yards on that nice big zero turn lawnmower, I get to thinking I sure would like that lawnmower. You know what? It wouldn't make my yard any smaller. I still have to cut grass, and my lawnmower does a perfectly good job with that. I'll watch a TV show and see what a, how a guy's dressed. I'm like, boy, I like that suit. I've got more suits than I can wear. But don't you do the same? Y'all are smiling, but don't y'all do the same thing? Learn to be content. <coughs> How many sets of clothes can we wear at one time? How many houses can we sleep in at once? How many rooms do we need in our house? You know, big fine houses are nice, but you know what? The bigger the house is, the longer it takes to keep clean, amen? The bigger yard you got, the longer it takes to mow the yard. The more clothes you got, the more you have to wash and dry and, heaven forbid, iron. Paul says, whatever state I'm in, I've learned to be content. And here's my question. If we know we're supposed to be content, and we're supposed to learn to be content, what's the problem? I think the problem is we're not plugging in verse 13. Verse 13 is Paul's secret weapon. This is one, to me one of the most misapplied scriptures in the New Testament. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. People, You see that on bumper stickers today and t-shirts. People say, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Uh, they'll interview a football player after, how did you score that touchdown? They'll say, I can do all things through Christ was strengthened me. How would you jump over that building? I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Look at the context of this verse. Paul says, when I'm hungry, I'm content. When I'm full, I'm content. When I have plenty, I'm content. When I don't have much, I am content. I've learned to be content. Paul, how have you learned to be content? Because the Strength of Jesus Christ. The presence of Jesus Christ. All things, whatever state I'm in, I can survive through Jesus Christ. That is the secret of being content. If you like grammar, I like words in the English language. When you look for, through, and we'll look at some more here in a minute. When you look through Philippians, Philippians he said, look at the prepositions. Look at verse 13. I can do all things 
through Christ. Whatever state I'm in, if I'm sick, I can find my strength in Christ. If I'm well, I can find my strength in Christ. If I'm hungry, I can find my strength in Christ. Do we realize that a huge, and this is a rabbit that just jumped up, but do we realize that probably, and this is a statistic I read this week while preparing a sermon in future weeks, but probably three quarters of the world's population is going to go to bed hungry tonight? But you know what? If you have Jesus, I can do all things through Christ. You can find strength there. <laughs> Most of us tonight will not go to bed hungry. There's something wrong with my clothes in the closet. They're getting smaller. And they're fitting me snugger. Because I certainly don't go to bed hungry. Amen? Whatever state we're in, we can learn contentment through Jesus Christ. And you know what else? If you don't have Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what state you're in. You're not going to be content. There are folks that try to find contentment many, many ways. They try to find contentment through stuff. They try to find contentment through position, climbing the ladder in their company. And there's nothing wrong with climbing the ladder to your company. But you know what I found out when I climbed the ladder through the restaurant up to a, a district manager? You know what I found out? I found out it ain't so hot. It's not what I thought it would be. When I was a general manager, I thought, I sh sure would be nice to go back and be an assistant. Where I didn't have to worry about getting the calls on Monday when my boss would say, how come your sales are down? And he didn't want to hear they built a new Hardee's across the street. It was our fault the sales were down, you know. So, well, what are you doing to get your sales up? What's your food cost? What's your labor cost? I thought, you know, it sure was nice when I was an assistant and all I had to worry about was uh, running my shift and, and making sure my shift was taken care of. And then I got the bright notion. I went to work at Opryland and I ran, I became a, what we would call a district manager. I ran all the little like candy shops and little fast food places inside of Opryland. And I thought that's what I always wanted. To, well, if I could just be a district manager, I, I'd have it going on. And I got there, I was district manager. And you know what I thought? It sure was better when I only had to worry about one restaurant. Climbing the ladder is fine, but if you're doing that to find contentment, you're not going to find it. What would happen if you had more money than you could spend? You might say, I don't know, but I wouldn't mind trying it for a week. I understand that. But you know what would happen? You'd worry about somebody taking your money. Or you'd worry about you losing your money. You'd worry about the stock market crashing and you're losing everything. In whatsoever state I am in, I've learned to be content through Christ. Whatever state I'm in, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Please don't take this out of context. Please don't use this verse and say, I can go walking down the middle of Interstate 40 because I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. What Paul's trying to get us to understand and what I want you and I want me to understand this morning 
is that whatever our circumstances are, if you're healthy, man, be content and just thank God that you're healthy. If you're not healthy, thank God you belong to Him. Look for ways to glorify God while you're not so healthy. If you're in a time of, you're on the mountaintop, you're in a time of blessing, thank God for your blessings. See what you can do with your stuff, not to get, maybe there's somebody needs some of your stuff. Glorify God through that. Or if you're going through a time in the valley, just praise God for His being. Because you know what? During the 2010 flood, I was going to the dump and I had a truckload of flooded stuff I was dumping off at the dump. And, and I ran into somebody and uh, I said, obviously you got hit with the uh, flood as well. And he said, yeah, he said, we lost everything. I said, well, I said, uh, I'm sorry to hear you lost your health. He said, well, I didn't say I lost my health. I said, well, I'm, I'm sorry to hear you lost your car. And he said, I didn't say I, I lost my car. I said, well, I'm sorry to hear you lost your kids. And he goes, well, I still got my kids. I didn't lose them. I said, I, I'm sorry to hear you lost your salvation. He said, well, I didn't lose my salvation. I said, I thought you lost, said you lost everything. Sometimes we just need to be reminded that in Jesus Christ, we have everything. And that brings us to the next thing that I want to talk about. Look down at verse 17. He says, I thank you that you used to support me. You're supporting me now. Not that I need a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have everything and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you. He says, I've got what the, that support that you sent from Epaphroditus. Man, I'm full. I've got everything that I need. And then he uses an Old Testament phrase. He says, these things you sent, they're an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. How many times in our daily Bible reading in the Old Testament did we read that if you'll sacrifice this way, it will be an aroma, of, it will be a sweet-smelling aroma, well-pleasing. So Paul uses that phrase. And then he says in verse 19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches. Did you ever think about how rich your father is? And I don't mean your earthly father. I mean God, your father. God's going to supply you everything you need according to his riches Here's a preposition again. In glory by Christ Jesus. I want you to think about all the riches that God has. We go to the book of Revelation and we read of what heaven and the new Jerusalem and all that's going to look like. And, and we see those streets of gold and, and the buildings looking like just sparkling with the different colors and the different stones and things and and we say, well, of course God's got everything. But did you know that God has riches 
he's going to give to you. You say, well, I sure don't feel very rich. Keep your finger right here and turn back one book to the book of Philippians, I mean the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. And I'm not going to read this whole chapter. I'm just going to call some things to your attention. We're going to read verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ. So Jesus, or God has given us all spiritual blessings. All means all, right? There's not a spiritual blessing that God has he hasn't given to us. Let's look at some of them. Verse 4 tells us that God has chosen us. Did you know God chose you? Out of all the people in Fairview, God chose you to be his child. That's a spiritual gift he's given you. Verse 5, he's predestinated us to adoption. Jesus Christ adopted you. I want you to think how good you would feel or how happy, how would you feel if the richest man in the world adopted you as your child? Well, you think, man, look at what I'd have if I were adopted by him. Somebody richer than the richest man in the world has adopted you. And that's God. You've been adopted into, we're children of God. My father's a king. Your father, you're a son or a daughter of a king this morning. Look what he says in verse 7. We have redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ. Forgiveness. How? According to the riches of his grace. Verses 9 and 10. God's made known to us the mystery. The Old Testament writers, even though they wrote about a Jesus and a Christ and a time that's coming, they didn't understand it. They didn't experience. <coughs> Through the word, we understand what God was wanting to reveal even in the Old Testament. We understand that this was everything God is going to do as far as the earth is concerned is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. And we're given that knowledge. Verse 11, we have an inheritance. I told Lee Andrew, when we die... There's probably not going to be much inheritance. But think of the inheritance. Think of everything God has. And did you know that God tells us that everything he has, we have? You think you don't have, you think you're not rich? The riches of his glory. Verse 12. That we should be to the Praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. This, this chapter is full of prepositions. In whom you also trusted. After that you heard the word of the truth. The gospel of your salvation. And whom also after you believed. Watch this. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Which is the earnest money of our inheritance. Until the redemption of the purchased possession. Until the praise of his glory. Now I'm going to. That's a mouthful. I'm going to tell you what Paul's saying here. Paul says the moment you trusted Jesus as your Savior, a ticket was bought through the blood of Jesus Christ 
for heaven for you. And it's sealed by the Holy Spirit. Well, what does that mean? You're protected by the Holy Spirit. When we seal food up, why do we seal it up? We seal it up so the bad stuff doesn't get in, right? We seal it up to keep it fresh. When we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit protects us. If you're a blood-bought member of God's family, you're going to stay a blood-bought member of God's family. Aren't you glad you couldn't be saved by your own power? Because you know if you were saved by your own power, that means you have to stay saved by your own power. But if you're, we are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, we're not strong enough to save ourselves. We're not powerful enough to save ourselves. We're saved by the blood of Jesus. We're also not strong enough to keep us saved, but the same power that saved us keeps us saved. How do I know I'm going to heaven? Because the Lord's going to make sure I get there. He, keep, he keeps me by the hand. Now sometimes I let go. and Sometimes I wander off. But praise God, I can't wander farther than he can reach. And he, sometimes he yanks me by the collar and yanks me back to get me back with him where he belongs. All the riches of God. Going back to Philippians, Paul says, I want you to join in and take these riches. God's going to supply your need. Now next week, Lord willing, we're going to start looking at the Lord's model prayer uh, in, in the Sermon on the Mount. And there's a section in there about meeting our needs. We're not, we, one of the reasons why we're not content is we haven't learned the difference in wants and needs. But that's for another sermon. I'm not going to preach that today. But Paul says, my God will supply all your need according to his riches of glory by Christ Jesus. And I want to jump down to verse 21. He says, salute or greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. I think it's interesting here the terminology Paul uses. He says, greet or salute every saint. I want to tell you, this morning in Old New Hope Baptist Church, there is no one person here that's any greater or any better than any other person. Every person is part of, child, of God's family. God has no stepchildren. Aren't you glad he didn't have any first cousins once removed? I don't understand how all that works. But you're either God's child or you're not God's child. We'll talk more about that here in a couple of weeks. But we need to learn to greet everybody. Say hello to everybody because we're all important. Now one thing I truly believe about Old New Hope is we don't have a lot of cliques. I've been in some churches where if you're not in the clique, you're not made to feel welcome or you're not made to feel part of the group. May we never get that way here at Old New Hope. I just praise God that we are a friendly church and a welcoming church. But let's not take that for granted. The devil could stir up trouble tomorrow. And he could cause us to be that way. Let's remember every saint is important. And then verse 22, all the saints salute you. They all greet you too. 
especially chiefly those that are in Caesar's household. I can't leave Philippians without saying, Paul went on his missionary journeys about 10 years before this was written. 10 years later, the gospel has spread all over the world, even into Caesar's household. There are Christians in the household of Caesar. Why? Because people like the Philippians supported missionaries and preachers to go all over the world teaching the gospel and preaching the gospel. Isn't that cool? Not only are we to greet every saint, every saint greets you, especially those in Caesar's household. You know what Paul did when he was put in jail? He kept on preaching. You reckon those guards got tired of watching Paul? Everybody come to visit Paul, he preached to them. He couldn't go to them, so they came to him. But you know what? Those guards heard that gospel message over and over and over again. And I'm convinced those guards went home to their family and said, I can see the wife. What did Paul talk about today? He probably rolled his eyes and said, you know what? He talked about that Jesus again. But I'm convinced that every time Paul mentioned Jesus, some of them didn't hear. Some of them did. And they got saved as a result of Paul preaching in prison. And some of those guards went back to their bosses, and they talked about Jesus. And not all the bosses listened, but some of them did. And they went into Caesar's household. And they talked about Jesus. And not everybody in Caesar's household believed, but some of them did. And praise God, even in Caesar's household, we found Christians. As we wrap up Philippians, there are two words I want us to wrap up with. Verse 20, Now unto God our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Everything we do, may it be done to the glory of God. Everything we say, everything we take part in, May it be given to the glory of God. I don't think we as Christians think about that enough. God deserves all glory. And the last word I want to use is verse 23. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Glory and grace. May these two words that start with G come out of our mouth continuously. May we give glory to God in all that we say and do. May we show grace in all that we say and do. There's a lot of people in our, we always need, we need grace. There's a lot of people that are hurting that we come into contact with. They could use some grace right now. When somebody says something you don't agree with, what would happen instead of fighting with them if we just showed them grace? If somebody gets mad at us, instead of getting mad right back, what if we just showed them grace? Because you know what? 
long time ago. As the song says, on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross where God showed me grace. Who are we to hold grace back from others? Glory and grace. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for loving us. Thank you for this message from Philippians. And I I just thank you for preachers like Paul who went all over the world planting churches. I thank you for churches like Philippi who supported these preachers as they did that. I turn our attention personally this morning, Father, to us sitting here in, in this group. And I pray that during this time of invitation, your Holy Spirit would search our hearts. And I pray that you would reveal in us whatever it may be that is keeping us out of the center of your will. And I pray that you would give us the conviction and the courage to make that right during this invitation time. In Jesus' name, amen.